listening to Around Comics. episode 456 under influence with tim seeley talking perry pop art one i'm brian Spencer. with me as always is Eastman and tom and our very special guest the hardest working man in all of comics mr tim seeley how are you sir Good to be here always a pleasure to talk to you uh it's very nice and it's a lovely night it's a beautiful night in chicago it's one of the uh loveliest nights of the year so far so it's great it's great to be able to uh, I've already had my uh, drinks. We went out to the cocktail place by <laughs> the house, and we had a couple already. So somebody is already yeah. under the influence. <laughs> That's right. Hey, it's good to see you, man. It's been like easily over a year. Is it really? Jesus, fuck! I don't know, man. I really goes so goddamn quickly now. I have no goddamn. Idea. I, I, I think you were you were one of our COVID guests. I think. Well, I'm, I just had COVID, so I'm your COVID guest again. I just had COVID, <laughs> which was a blast. Uh, thanks. Thanks, everybody. That was fucking fun. Yeah. How, how was C2E2? You know, we didn't, I don't think any of the three of us made it down there this year. And it had kind of like fully formed into a pop culture con, you know, like pre-COVID. Um, what was it like this year? I mean, I, I feel like, well... From my viewpoint, it the pop culture is gone, and it's an artist alley convention. It, it is the best. It is the best con I do all year financially. It's the best con I do. Really? Uh, just yeah. I mean, not even close. Part of it is I can go when I sell out of books, I can go back to my house and grab them. Uh, but but it it was great. Uh, the artist alley is like the biggest draw. There was no publishers there. There was you know there's celebrities like Chris Evans was there and shit. But it, I mean, it is the level of which that show has become. You know, like very comic focused. If you're someone like me, is crazy to me. Ooh, that makes me that makes me want to go next year. Yeah, it was a it was a blast. You know, and there was just one eight fucking months ago, so I was a little concerned that you know because of the COVID mm-hmm. shit and, mm-hmm. the, and the way that they have, that people would sort of not show up, but they showed up. And you know, as a, I, I I used to always be able to do the thing because I've been to so many goddamn conventions in the past twenty years. I I can kind of gauge when a recession is coming um and there isn't one coming <laughs> yeah, like, no. All right. well that's good to know you hear well, heard it here first folks the you, financial you, uh, expert mr tim seeley is claiming there is no I, I i love that we live in a world where um artist alley commissions can be a bellwether for you know economic forecasts i mean i i knew in 2008 shit was going down i remember I was, <laughs> I was like 31 31 years old or something and i was like oh fuck, this isn't good uh and you know every little like sort of problem we've had since i, I you know i had a bad con and this one i was like are you are you guys serious? Are you really want to spend that money? Are you are you, you want to buy that page for nine hundred dollars? Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was one of those. 
So it was great. That's outstanding. Well, hey, this uh, this is called Under the Influence, and if you are new to this format of the show, um, it is when we get to uh, make a wonderful excuse to have an old friend on the show to talk about a comic that influenced them. Uh, that could be the first comic they bought. It could be uh, a comic that was you know, just purely uh, influential in a way that maybe wanted to make them create comics or change the way that they read comics or enjoyed the medium. And uh, Tim, um, I would like to say he did not surprise us. <laughs> well, yeah, could have Amazing Spider-Man 230 again. I've talked about it a million yeah. fucking times. The first right. time I ever got. But I felt like, you know, one, everybody everybody who works in comics currently who's over 30 is like their first comic was Spider-Man comic. That's just the way it is. Uh, right? So I don't I don't want to do that. I, there, I thought, it, there's going to be a lot of Spider-Man Batman in this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or like fucking Frank Miller Daredevil. So Dude, I don't get it. Pfeiffer. Yeah. That was Pfeiffer's. Right, of course. Right. <laughs> um, so I didn't want to do that. I, I didn't want to, um, you know, well, and, and also because I have Money Shot coming out and because it's so much uh, based on the experience I had with uh, indie comics with an X when I was in my teens, I felt like it was pretty important to uh, to talk about it. Yeah. So, so what, so what is your comic, Tim? Well, so I actually picked, um, I actually picked Cherry Comics, Mm -hmm. uh, that was the first issue I got, um, but I would. It's also fair to do uh, issue one. This cherry, actually, cherry pop tart. Cherry pop tart. When it was cherry pop tart, obviously they had to change the name. Uh, Larry changed the name because he got in trouble with uh, Kellogg. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, sued uh, by Kellogg for Kellogg's. Is like, uh, yeah. yeah, we appreciate what you're doing, but uh, we need you to take the the name off of the front. <laughs> of <it. laughs> so her name technically is Cherry Pop Star. Uh, as of in this issue, anyway, she is cherry pop star. Um, but uh, hugely influential on, on myself personally, obviously. Um, and you know, look, I love superhero comics and I love all that sort of mm -hmm. other stuff, but I feel like, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of agnostic about superheroes in a way that I like comics, I like superheroes because I like comics, I don't like comics because I like superheroes. Okay, uh, so, so for me, it's more, I think it's more important to talk about some of this other you stuff. you have not only written but drawn a lot of superhero comics yes i mean so, I, work, yeah. I work in comics like i you know yeah. It, yeah. It, western comics uh, i mean again i'm not you know but but i feel like it's I, every day that it goes on for me becomes more like god i really got to make sure people know that it's not just fucking superheroes because i teach at a college and and those kids love comics they don't give a shit about superheroes <laughs> so, uh, you know, I feel like more and more every day we have to like be pushing towards the fact that hey look in the western model we don't just do superheroes we have all their stuff you know um can you give us a little bit of a uh i i have to be uh 100 off i never even heard of this comic before i yeah i, I was never i never read adult comics really i mean here and there i've come across them but it wasn't anything that i ever really invested much time in so can you give us any history on you know this was created by uh larry wells, wells. uh anything about him or how this comic came about or why or you know what was sort of the history of cherry pop tart or cherry as a, as a comic book character yeah i mean again i don't i'm not an absolute expert in the, the, the history personally but 
the six, you know, out of the end of the sixties comes the sort of comics uh, revolution, which was a bunch of people who had grown up on animation and comics from the forties and fifties, and then they were really influenced by that sort of thing. And in about nineteen sixty something, they start this sort of movement: Zap Comics, Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers, uh, all that sort of. Mm-hmm. And they start calling it comics with an X. Crumb. Right. Is, yeah. A lot of it's California. It's Hateberry Ash. Yeah. It's, it's, right. Yeah, it right. comes up with, at the same time, the counterculture movement, right? Mm-hmm. So so these kind of comics were available as distributed through head shops, right? They, yeah. You go and buy your stuff to uh, work. The with. artists and writers were high while <laughs> making these tobacco comics. Tobacco pipe. Your tobacco. <laughs> uh, and. And so it was really part of that counterculture movement. And so as part of that sort of movement, uh, a big thing that they were doing was that they were doing comics that were um, sort of unrestricted in, in the content. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, like let your id run. Uh, and so you had stuff that was, you know, anti-religion. You had stuff that was subversive, anti-war, all that kind of stuff. And then you also had like Crumb and some of these other guys doing strips, which by the standards of now would be considered brutally misogynist. Uh, and, 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 uh, and part of that would, and their defense would be, well, I'm just, I'm just admitting what's in my head, which may be valid, Uh, but some of them came across pretty sexist. And so, uh, sort of a guy who comes out of that as a cartoonist is Larry Wells and sort of toward the end of the seventies and the early eighties, he kind of takes that, uh, aesthetic and he borrows, uh, the sort of, um, uh, the Archie style, you know, the kind of uh, 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 the cartoon style made famous by like Stan Goldberg and Dan mm-hmm. DiCarlo. Yeah, and it's very DiCarlo. There is he takes the, the American sort of high school Archie kind of aesthetic and he puts it through this um, this underground comics filter. And so Cherry is this sort of like end of the 70s, beginning in the 80s. You know, someone she's like a free spirit. She's the sort of like. A, gr- a female Archie, and she's kind of a bimbo like Archie, uh, who is also a bimbo. <laughs> you know, she's sort of sexually, uh, you know, free, and so it, it sort of makes fun of this, uh, you know, the fifties aesthetic. But that happens to hit at the beginning of the eighties when we're going back to this sort of uh, consumerist, um, you know, uh, sexually repressive, sexually repressive. Yeah. We're back in the eighties, and so. So Cherry kind of takes on its own life then as well, where Larry is kind of able to do subversive comics about the 80s as well. So The, the 80s were the first decade to romanticize the 50s. Right. And so right. they kind of yeah. went back socially and, you know, it becomes more consumerist and we get Reagan and we get all this shit. And so Larry's doing comics, uh, you know, through Last Gasp and stuff with Cherry that he, he kind of happens upon something that is genius at the time which is by making fun of the 50s, he's making fun of the 80s. Uh, and so, you know, Cherry is, is a, it's an Archie pastiche, sort of. Um, and, uh, you know, Cherry is essentially able, she's a high school student. She's, uh, you know, notoriously open-minded. Uh, but also it introduces sort of these other things. And it's at its best, I think, the, the thing about Cherry um, that really stuck with me, and I think stuck with a lot of readers, is how subversive it could be. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it would it would do the things that something like Crumb would do, but it would do it like if it was being sexist, it was doing it to make fun of those attitudes more so than the the uh, mm-hmm. ones that were just like you know this is what's coming out of my head. 
I like to cry, you know, jump on the back of the woman. It was woman more pointed. It was yeah. like more, yeah, like a, a, a specific thing as opposed to just like, here's just like my, this is just me vomiting out, like whatever, yeah. you know. You know, which has its place. And I think yeah. the comics are pretty good. Um, and so, you know, Terry, it wasn't monthly. <laughs> At first, it was sort of quarterly. Um, but, you know, sort of around like 1987, 1988 is when I first ran into issues. I would find them. Um, in my hometown, there was, a, there was a comic shop and it was solid, but they didn't carry adult comics. But there was a pawn shop uh, down the street. That, oh, is this, in, is this in Wausau? Yeah. The guy, <laughs> he sort of inexplicably had a, um, a distribution count that wasn't diamond. It was like, you know, whatever sort of other, this is before everything was kind of capitalized mm -hmm. by, yeah. um, you know, so it wasn't Capital City and it wasn't any other one. Some weird one. Yeah, and he had distributed accounts, so he would get, um, like, Malibu Comics, Aircell, um, you know, like, just like the, the sort of black and white boom comics. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, hidden among those books would be Cherry. Uh, and so... You know, I would go, my mom and dad were cool about shit. They, they would, like, take me to the comic store, and and then I would pick up my shit. And on the way back, they'd be like, hey, do you want to stop at that, that pawn shop on Grand Avenue? Hilarious. And I'd go in there, and I could grab, and so I was getting, like, um, you know, uh, aristocratic extraterrestrial thieves, and I was getting, like, uh, you know, uh, ex-mutants, and I was getting... Uh, Radioactive all, hamsters. Yeah, I was getting Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, uh, black, black and white. Um, all that sort of shit. And then every once in a great while, there'd be a cherry in there. And uh, credit to my parents, they were sort of just like, I don't know, whatever. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> I was like eleven, I think, when I got I got this one. This is the actual issue I got. Jesus. Uh, I got number ten. Uh, it's 11 or 12. So, so basically, Cherry Comics number 10 gave you the talk. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I come from a. This is a penis. This is a <laughs> vagina. Well, I come from a. I, I probably grew up a little bit weird. Uh, my parents were very uh, proactively open minded and, and uh, liberal <laughs> early. So I was, I was, you know, I, I was aware of things, like not in a creepy way. You but, weren't uh, shocked by this. No, I, I also knew about. So my dad would dad was a collector of occasional comics. He he would get Vampirella. And oh, he would okay. get um, So I was aware of other kinds of comics, uh, you know, and and so, and I he at one point I remember bought Black uh, Kiss by Howard Chaykin, okay. um, and I wasn't supposed to read that. Obviously, I shouldn't have read that. That was one I shouldn't have read. Cherry's fine. Black Kiss, not so much. <laughs> that was that was one of the few that I did read. Yeah. <laughs> well, I snuck that one at age eleven. And I was like, I should have done that. That was that was because it wasn't really the sex that got me. It was the violence. It was so violent in that, you know. So, but uh, but the, the cherry thing I think was influential because of how subversive it was, and it was a parody. And to this day, I think, I mean, it's not just cherry, but that idea of subversion and parody. And I make fun of everything I do. I think comes a lot from reading those comics early, yeah. you know, and finding, uh, you know, even later that got me into like they were doing reprints of Zap comics and um, and uh, some of that kind of you know, famous furry freak brothers and shit. And when I could find those, I would always grab them. Yeah, I mean, there's some pretty funny fake ads. 
and yeah. like you know like mixed in amongst like the archie style like short individual stories that are like three pages long and then here's one that's eight pages long and then in between here's an ad for this yeah. or that so it was it has that very 80s indie black and white indie comic that yeah. i mean uh, love and rockets would do that they would yeah have it's the it's three page story at, you know and then odd things and then a 10 page story so. i'm gonna say and this is a compliment it's very grubby you know yeah. it's like <laughs> In, a, in the best way possible, as far as just, you know, it's a very grubby comic, you know, like that black and white, like very, like, obviously put together from like one person's brain. Like yeah. this is all from this person. Like they made everything inside of it. They laid it out, you know, like this is the work of, you know, this dude. Like, oh, God. His, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I think, and I agree. And one of the things I always really liked about that, that comics were the only place to get something like that. You know, there was no other media that could just be like, you know, here's just some guy making this entire thing, and he, and and there's no one telling him what to do. And like later, you know, two or three years later, when I when I when Image Comics was announced, you know, I was already sort of primed for that stuff because I was reading those black and white books. You know. I, I had got a copy of Omaha the Cat Dancer when I was twelve, and I had gotten a copy uh, of you know of, of American Flag at that time, and the the, the sort of pure id that those comics were. Um, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a page by page dissection of Omaha the Cat Dancer. Well, Omaha the Cat Dancer is so much less dirty than Cherry. Yeah. So much. Oh, oh, yeah. It's yeah. Not even. <laughs> It's like oh the cat dancer has occasional sex. The sex is always plot driven, always. Terry <laughs> is just like here's a blowjob for no fucking reason. For three yeah. Over and over and over. <laughs> like like every like, other panel. Like, yeah, Veronica. Okay, we got bored with this bit we're doing. All right, yeah. Let's play. Like, right, let's get to the the blowjob part. Yeah, Wendy Whitebread. I did not read it. I believe was that Don Simpson. I'm not sure. I, I'm. I'm familiar with the title. I haven't read it. Uh, you know, again, like I was limited at the time to what this guy with the 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 you know the head shop, yeah, that what he would get, and it was always it was kind of hit or miss. So I remember I got ten of Cherry, and then later I think I found like thirteen or fourteen, and then the next time I found it I think it was in 1995, and it was like on issue 17 or 18 or something. So like it was like a yeah. You know, and, they, and it moved several publishers. It was at Kitchen Sink yeah. for a little while. Were you able is, to... kitchen, is Kitchen Sink still around? Nah, yeah, kind of. I think it's all those kind of, you know, they, they do trades and stuff occasionally. It's whenever they, you know, put something out. Kind of thing. Yeah. Were you able to catch up on the continuity of this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the crossover. Well, there's been, you know, to be fair, there's been a lot, apparently there's been a lot of reprints that stories had to be stripped out of the reprints because of, you know, litigation and, and, and that kind of, that kind of stuff. Well, so I remember and then when I started going to uh, like 1993, 1994, I started going to comic conventions on my own because I was like 16, 17 years old. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would drive down to Chicago or I would, you know, or I would go to uh, Madison. I, I remember I went a couple of times and then I, I was able to start hunting for back issues. And I, I was able to catch up on a lot of these books um, you know, and that was kind of part of the appeal of being able to go to a convention was that I was able to mm -hmm. find these. 
things that you couldn't find in Wausau. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Cherry was a big part of that. Um, and then also, you know, just uh, the Omaha Cat Dancer. I, I have a whole run of that. And, um, you know, that kind of stuff, which was uh, and, and like in the 90s in comics, that was the stuff you would be able to find in the in the bins or, you know, in the in the back issue doing a search you can find that kind of stuff so. yeah sometimes you had to go up and ask him listen yeah. uh it was maybe under the counter no hilariously it wasn't i, I very <laughs> remember buying that shit it would be like be, and I, this is why the cbldf was born right? <laughs> <laughs> table 12 and 13 oh and and there's cherry number nine like it was just no one fucking gave a shit it would be all like a dollar and it wouldn't matter you know yeah and kind of seriously this is why the cpldf was yeah. born. <laughs> um, you know i mean famously i remember i was 11 years old and i bought the entire run of watchmen except for two which i had to later sure that no one asked me anything i'm like an 11 year old kid and I'm like, I'll take these books and plop down Watchmen. <laughs> Got any good rape comics you want to sell me as a twelve-year-old? There's 12 a little year old? bit of nudity in there, and rape. Subject <laughs> But what, what I liked about Cherry was, uh, and what I still like about it, is that it was sex positive. Uh, which I, you know, I, I, would say it also about Omaha Cat Dancer. Um, a lot of that stuff in that era was creepy sex stuff. Uh, yeah. Hey, I, 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 you know. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the comics with the X are pretty misogynist. Um, Cherry is very empowered. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I mean, Cherry is in control of everything. She is the main character. She yeah. is, she's kind of a bimbo, but she's also clearly like got a plan. Always in control. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. Um, and you know, Larry, uh, as a cartoonist, uh, you know, worked with. A bunch of other cartoonists to make that book a lot of them were uh you know co-plotted with his wife uh neil gaiman wrote uh, a book a story for that von Bodie did uh stuff for terry so there was a lot of cool the first von Bodie thing i ever saw besides wizards was uh in cherry really because uh, he did in fact i think it's an issue 10 he does a backup strip okay um so like there was cool shit in there and there was you know uh there was references to you know, the, the other sort of major books of that era, um, you know, famously, I think, um, you know, Larry was kind of outside of that sort of San Francisco crew of cartoonists. Uh, he, I think he was based out of Roswell, New Mexico for a long time. And uh, it wasn't really like, you know, hanging out with the with all those other hippies, but that that's kind of that weird time in comics where it was, you know, starting to break away from the New York bullpens and there were starting to be comic book publishers all over the country. And, you know, people were able to create comics outside of New York City. You know, yeah. Right? Yeah. And there was, and it was a big part of it, too, was the distribution at the time. Because, uh, you know, there was a bunch of, like, before the whole capital city thing that happened in the, in the 90s, there was a bunch of distributors and they handled different publishers to different degrees. And so Marvel DC had their own distribution sides, but then there was little little companies that would just sort of yeah. pop up, and um, you know they was kind of it's kind of like alcohol distribution. There are some distributors that will handle some breweries and not others, and some wineries and or you know you know buyers. Yeah, it was it was it was this total mishmash of distribution, yeah. Yeah. and it could be kind of local, like you would have sort of a distribution company that would get stuff, and and so it could be kind of spotty, but it also meant like 
you know, again, like the fact that there was just this this guy with a, you know, a pawn shop with an account meant like I was getting shit that I that I should not have been able to get in my town and got left. <laughs> by guy. Yeah. Know, I don't know how much I made on those books. I, maybe I was maybe it was me and three other people buying those books and. That's why he didn't turn down a fucking 11-year-old kid. I it. love that your influential comics came from a fucking pawn shop in Wausau, Wisconsin. <laughs> I mean, that, that, yeah. is, that, is, that is why we do this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I would still get my, you know, my X-Men and my yeah. Avengers from, you know, 29 Super uh, on the Highway 29 in Weston. But, you know, or I would go to the Watson News Agency, which was a, a an incredible old fashioned newsstand in downtown yeah. Watson that had the, every DC Marvel book, every now, every con- continuity book. It was fucking incredible. Uh, but it didn't have. You know, so in, this in Green Bay, there was a a, um, a newspaper place that had all. That's where you would get your weird comics because it was really, like totally. They it was like the people that ran it like because they did not care meant that just weird stuff would show up. It wasn't like they were like, which of these, you know, comics are we going to like, I guess we'll get these ones. Like they just didn't like pay attention to it. it and grab so back. like, they're grab back. So it was like, <laughs> so there was always like weird magazines and like weird music magazines from other countries. And just like this weird collection of stuff that you could get there. Was that place, was it called Book World? Because that was, I think it was, was it called Book World? I remember going, we used to, Green Bay was the thing, my parents would take us once a year. Yeah. Uh, we would go to Green Bay, we would hit Power Comics, and we would hit uh, Toys R Us. It was like a big deal, because we didn't have yeah. any of that. We have a comic shop uh, like that. We didn't have a, we didn't have fucking Red Lobster. We didn't have Toys R Us. So go to Green Bay, and I remember going to that news agent place. It was called uh, Bosses. There was a, it was called... It had like a cigar area in it. Too. It was just like a... <laughs> I know it. I know it. We went one fucking time. Uh, it, it it was like one of those. Uh, my parents dropped us off and gave us each ten dollars. Yeah. Uh, and then they went to out to eat at, at Red Lobster, which was yeah. like a big. And then they came back, and my brothers and I were like, "Here's a weird stack of <laughs> shit, but here's like, here's like Sunrunners and fucking uh, you know whatever like we would get like." weird indie stuff and yeah it was awesome it's like we bought it at this place there's like a bunch of old guys talking about like cigars up front and then just like super smoky was kind of stinky yeah Yeah. i bet you if i could dig back some of that shit that i had it would smell like old ass cigar i was gonna say it's there's old book smell is this like old book plus old cigar smell Yeah. yeah Like pipe tobacco and leather, and then like, you know, I was telling my students about this where it was like, when I was a kid and you went to a comic book shop, it was kind of a shit show. Like it was a crapshoot. You might end up in one of those stores that was like secretly, really just a front for like a you know a pot seller or something. Yeah. And so he would have like a pizza box on the comics and like. It would be just kind of crappy, and everything would be beat up. But you'd be like, you would just you wouldn't care because it was all you had. And you'd be like, I found a bunch of Marvel UK books. There's Death's Head Nine yeah. under this. <laughs> and the thing was, you weren't you didn't care about condition. You just yeah. wanted to find them so you could finish reading the fucking story. Or it was stuff that you had heard about, like yeah. you know. I remember there would be ads for like Marvel UK books or like, um, or or Judge Dredd. I remember like finding 2000 AD in 1980. Right. 
85 or 86. If the cover was ripped off, you didn't care. You didn't fucking care. Yeah. Or, like, you know, Action Force, which was the British G.I. Joe, uh, all that sort of stuff. Like, you knew it existed because you would, you would, yeah. you know, ads or you had heard about it. And if you found it at a comic store, sometimes it was a good comic store that looked like Chris's office, or, <laughs> or it was a fucking dump. And it was like some guy, you know, like with a breathing mask, you know, that he was like, Taking a breath every month so he didn't die, and then like and that one's like, in Oak Park. That's yeah, in Oak yeah. Park, Illinois. <laughs> yep, that's my my. It's the closest one, shop and, to my house. Yeah, yeah. or or Variety Comics. On, I remember uh, we used to be what on Western Avenue. I remember that guy. Uh, yeah, that that guy. Yeah. So we there, you know for sure. <laughs> I remember like in the eighties when the big boom of comics, you know, speculation happened. Like mm-hmm. there was like four comic book shops popped up in you know within a couple of miles of my house and it was like i would go to all of them because each one carried different stuff and there was like the one that was there forever there was two that were there for a long time and then there was like three that just kind of like were there for a while and you could tell like the guy was selling like you know baseball cards and old records and you know like all sorts of shit and comics and but it was awesome like you said because it was like you never knew what you might find yeah. in, you know, I think like, I remember finding, um, oh, what was that indie comic? Tim Vigil. What, what was it? What was it? Faust. Faust. Yes. Faust. Yes. And yeah. It, yeah, I remember finding that one day when I was like 12 or something, you, you know, one of these shops, just like, what is this? This is insanity. This is so violent and crazy. And yeah. yeah. I mean, that was, so that was the other side of this. My, my brother and I, got really into this shit uh, when we were about 13, 14, 15 and, and partly inspired by like finding this stuff like cherry and all this sort of shit. And we found this dude uh, who would distribute out of his house in uh, Ohio. He would send you individual comics. It was called raw comics. That was the name of the company. Oh God. He had this, it was just like a typed up list of shit he had and you, you would get on a mailing list and he didn't give a fuck. I, I was fucking 12, 13 years old. <laughs> I love the fucking eighties. Yeah. Welcome to the 1980s. <laughs> Tim's giving you a list of like dirty comics. <laughs> Tim's ordering porn comics and, and like ninja stars. Nunchucks. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't gonna waste money on ninja stars if I could get a copy of fucking Faust. Like there was no way I would get on anything but fucking comics. We would do that. We would go to, you know, we go to raw comics and order uh, I remember getting Simidar from Aerosol, which is a Oh wow. Uh, I, Faust, um, the uh, uh, Cry for Dawn, which was uh, Joe Linzer before he did Dawn. Uh, uh, all the Bone Yard Press books, so that was like Bill the Bull and all, all that sort of shit. We would order that stuff, all of it. We would we would go mow lawns, and my brother and I would order all. It. This it explains so much about right. you and your brother now. Like all, all the things that I've been, you know, over the years. You know, it's like mailing you guys. Everything, everything's falling into place. <laughs> I mean, it, but it, it also, you know, again, adult content, kind of weird shit. But for me, comics weren't just superheroes from a very young age. And it, it was, you know, like we would get Vampirella, we would get, um, you know, horror comics and, and science fiction stuff. So it, it was an access to stuff that was outside the sort of what mm-hmm. comics in the early, late 80s and early 90s were dominated by, which was superhero stuff. You know, so that's probably in part like when I started doing my own stuff, like I was rolling into doing horror comics and fantasy shit like right away because, you know, 
yeah. as much as I enjoy my Avengers books, like, you know, I we were so excited to have stuff like, you know, Poison Elves by Drew Hayes and, and uh, you know, all this stuff to me, which was like, that's how you do fucking indie comics. The Tick, I remember it was like hard to get The Tick, yeah. but it was a goddamn treat when we would order. My dad used to read my copies of The Tick. I would order from Raw Comics, get my copies of The Tick, and I'd share it with my dad. You know, it was like, <laughs> it was just like, you know, it there was it was a there was a, pl- a plethora of stuff. You had to be a very specific kind of person to find it. Yes. You know, like you had, that was kind of the deal. Yeah, it was. It wasn't at the uh, the checkout at the grocery store. No. Yeah. Going, going back to you know the cherry comic, uh, you know when you're 11 and reading it, were you aware of one? Were you aware that it was a takeoff of like Archie and stuff? And then, you know, like how aware were you of the sort of satire in it and and sort of the you know the send-ups of and the you know so sort of like social commentary that it that it had was that something that came later or was it something that you you know kind of were able to grasp even then well i mean i always joke about this i was also a huge mad magazine fan when i was a kid and like mad would do like edward meese and you and i wouldn't know i didn't know what the fuck yeah i contra you know what i mean like so <laughs> i would read those comics with and just pretend like I fucking got the joke, you know, sure. like um, or like movie parodies of movies you've never seen. Like I was yeah. talking about this the other day with my friends, where I was like, I remember there was a Mad Magazine where they did a parody of the movie The Deep, and they called it The Dip, and I've <laughs> never, I, and I've never seen that movie, but oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you enjoyed the strip. Right, totally. I mean, I think in a lot of the cherry stuff was like off. It was out of my, at the time, like out of my range of experience. But I, I did understand the Archie stuff. My mom was a big Archie reader when she was a kid. So when I, when I was like, I don't know, nine or nine years old, uh, we went to my grandma's house and cleared out uh, my mom's closet from when she was a kid, and there was all these Archie books in. It. So I had Pep Comics, Archie, you know, uh, Betty, uh, Veronica, and all that stuff. And I loved it. it. To me, it was comics. I didn't. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know that Archie was supposed to be not cool when you're fucking ten years old or whatever. I had no idea. I just, I just knew it was comics, and it was kind of funny, and you know, that was fine for me. So I understood. And they were old Archie. They were also like Archie from like 1968, you know, 69. So right. I definitely understood that uh, it was a parody of Archie, and I understood yeah. you had you had a visual guidepost before yeah. you read Cherry. But there's plenty of stuff in there. You know, I, when I started working on this money shot thing, I went back and read Cherry 10. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's all kinds of shit in there that I'm now I see it. Now, you know, I, I, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, you know, and maybe maybe that leads into, you know, how this comic influenced you, you know, because that's kind of the 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 the, the gist the, of it. And, you know, you mentioned money shot. And if folks haven't picked it up, do so. Money shot showing that for the uh, for the the at home video folks. Um, maybe specifically, how did Cherry um, influence your work on Money Shot? Well, so there's a thing I noticed very early as a kid, which was that if you did sex, you were already being you were already outside the system, right? Like that meant that you were an outsider because I mean, especially in eighty Reagan stuff, and it was very conservative. And, and so, like, you were already doing a sort of undercurrent. You were, you, were, you were a rebel no matter what you did. But you could just do sex or you could do what Cherry did, which was like, hey, as long as I've got you, 
And as long as you're a weirdo and you're reading this comic about uh, teenager fucking people, I would like to point out to you, here's an hypocrisy about religion. And here's an hypocrisy <laughs> about, uh, about uh, schools. And here's an hypocrisy about politicians. And so there's this thing that goes together with carrying a lot of sort of 80s uh, satirical stuff, which was you could be as base about your sort of joke as you wanted. Um, and you could you had a certain audience, but you could also slip in some smart shit in there. Uh, and I, I think you know that's what Money Shot was going to always be, which was yes, it's about scientists fucking from for you know to pay for science and amateur aliens. Yes, a lot of the jokes are are dick and titty jokes, but also it's about something, right? I mean, it's about this sort of uh, fear of education because if we make people too smart, they won't listen to our shitty opinions uh, and. You know, so like part of that has always been uh, baked into it. Uh, and I, I thought it was funny when we announced that, that Cherry was in um, Money Shot. I, they, they put up an article on Bleeding Cool. And one of the comments was like, uh, uh, I don't know if this cartoonist who does Money Shot is aware how subversive Cherry is, but I won't keep my hopes up. But like, you fuck. <laughs> Get <laughs> <laughs> and then come back and tell me about how I can't handle subversion, you fucking weirdo. But it, it is, it is such Hopefully a. Hopefully, understands. That's it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, like, I mean, okay, brother. I'm just doing the book where uh, the billionaires come to the planet, and, they, and the scientists had to like go and fund their own shit by by fucking aliens. Yeah, that's that's not subversive at all. <laughs> you know, but it's the sort of sense that like. You know, if you were already going to be doing something that was getting, you weren't going to be on the top, on the shelf. You were going to be on the top shelf anyway. You might as well say what the fuck you want, right? Sure. Which I think the thing I took from Cherry very, very early, and probably from Omaha as well, because you know, it wasn't just about a naked cat chick at all. It, it was it wasn't even close to just about that. Uh, it was about relationships and. And the you know the sort of things that we put place on on our partners, and it was about uh, you know emotional baggage, and it was about uh, Minneapolis, which was great. It was you know it's like all these things that that people don't know that 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 would be contained in something because you look at it and you say oh, it's got tits, it must be stupid. Uh, so that's what I took, I think, from the, that sort of stuff, and which is I, I think a primary motivator for me to do anything to this day. I wonder, you know, thinking about because I I did go back and I read a couple of the earlier issues of Cherry Pop Tart as well, and I feel like they were much more along the lines of the other sort of comics with an X work stuff. It was not as um, pointed or poignant, or you know, it was it was especially the first couple of issues, and then it seems to evolve a bit. Uh, as it goes on. And I wonder, like thinking about it now, you know, I don't think that anything happens in a vacuum and especially art doesn't happen in a vacuum. And I, I thinking about it now, I'm wondering if like part of that was to get away with being able to do, uh, because, you know, at that, at the same time, if you think about it, like a lot of things are going on in the country with, you know, for whatever reason, it popped in my head, like hustler magazine and, yeah. uh, and and those laws, you know, sought suits about pornography and what's pornography, what is art, and you know that that was very prevalent in the eighties. We went, you know, we kind of lived through that and those court cases and arguments and all that thing, those things Kipper going Gore. on. 
Yeah, exactly. And I wonder if 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 some of that evolution is in a way like going, well, wait a minute, it's not just pornography. It isn't it isn't mindless. It is art because there is a point to it. There is something else going on there as opposed to sort of like early on when some of this stuff was. And I think you see that in a lot of like comics work where it's like early on, it's very misogynistic. It's very just, you know, pornographic and sex for sex, almost, you know, like Tijuana Bible ish in, yeah. in a sense. And then it starts to change. And I wonder if that's a conscious decision on, on the artists, the creators, you know, in, in a way, or if it's subconscious, like sort of a reaction to, Hey, wait a minute, we can still get away with this stuff. We want to be subversive, but we don't want to be shut down. I think yeah. I wonder if it's like getting bored. Well, it's like, also also drugs. I mean, it's like yeah. when they start when a lot of these cartoonists sort of enter this uh, subculture. Mm. You know, comes a great example of this. You know, they they sort of get into the subculture and they're doing these sort of indie comics, and then they start smoking weed or doing mushrooms, and in part that also it doesn't always make them better cartoonists, not always, but so, it definitely expands some minds. Like, I, I think a big part of that was crumb. I mean, if, if you ever look at crumb pre-acid and crumb post-acid, uh, there's a change, you know, like, there's a difference in the way that he sees things and the way that he sure. renders yeah. I, I don't, I can't say that for sure for, for Larry, but definitely, I, I, I think you're right. Part of it is, it is exactly maybe what I'm referring to is, you're already doing something on the top shelf. You're already doing something for an audience who is a counterculture yeah. audience, who's already, if, if you're the kind of person who like walks into a bookstore in a, in a major American city and picks up, you know, uh, not just a fucking copy of, of swank, you pick up, you know, cherry, you're already, your audience is already pretty primed for some, some, something else. Yeah. yeah. I think that might've been part of it too, is they're changing with, their audience and certainly that was a big part of the comics movement was they got more and more tied with the counterculture movement you know they're reacting to the counterculture stuff then they become a part of the counterculture and then the the, they influence the counterculture right like that's you know the sort of uh the the process for i mean especially you know uh s clay wilson or or you know any of the cartoonists who are become iconic right Mm -hmm. and you know, and it, you know the the cherry is interesting because it comes out after that stuff. Like, yeah. it's not a '60s comic. It's made by a '60s sort of dude, but it comes out in the '80s, yeah. which is early you know, '80s. Yeah. yeah, yeah, early '80s. Well, part of it too, I wonder if it's just like also just like finding your own creative voice. And like at first, all you can do is like get out this version of this thing that you want to do, and then as you get better or more confident in what your vision is, you can make it more like, actually I have this to say, because now it doesn't feel so overwhelming to like just get this thing into existence. And now it's like, oh, okay, like I could do that. Well, and you, like you said, just boredom too. Like, oh, okay, how many blowjobs? How many, yeah. how interesting is like another blowjob joke or another, you know what I mean? Like, Imagine okay, the first something. time you put it out, you're like, oh, that's great. Like I did that. And then maybe you're like, oh, okay, well, I did that already. Like, yeah, yeah. Thinking, like, what else? Seeing, what else can I do? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, and part of it probably, to, to some degree, with uh, with something like Cherry was that you know it's 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 also a satire of like pop culture stuff of the time. So every cover would be like, you know, here's Cherry as um, you know a pirate, or Cherry is a you know, and he, he would yeah, come yeah. sort of these like 
Cherry was a character who could like transcend space and time if necessary. Uh, and I, I think part of it too is like as he starts doing these strips that that the constraints are just out the window. It kind of mm-hmm. opens him up to you know telling these different kinds of stories. He was doing stuff about Silicon Valley like in the eighties. I mean, the character LED, who you know LED, haha. Uh, she was like on the internet in nineteen eighty nine. You know, I remember picking that shit up and you know just sort of not necessarily understanding jokes about mm-hmm. you know was and fucking you know I mean like, but Larry knew that stuff. Larry came from that kind of background. Yeah, have you ever met him? I have. Uh, he wouldn't remember it. I bought a bunch of art from him at uh, well, two twice. I bought art from him once at a con in New Mexico and once at a con in New York, maybe or was maybe it's but um, but you know, so when I wanted to do this book, uh, he and I have a mutual friend, and that's who I asked, dude, Stephen Frank, who uh, does a bunch of like card series and stuff for Larry. Um, so I asked Stephen if I could use Cherry, and uh, I was it was just like I was like he'll never let me fucking do this. Yeah. Uh, and then he said, yeah, sure. And I was like, okay, well, then I sent him the first script. And I was like, is that okay? And he's like, yeah, great. Like, oh, really? And it's, I was like, okay, <laughs> here's the other one. But it was, but it's also like, I think I was picking up on stuff that I knew Larry would be interested in. You know, the, the, the stories about billionaires and AI and, um, you know, the sort of lack of respect for people who make things, but, but sort of feel into the things they make. And so, you know, a guy like Mark Zuckerberg not really caring about makes up but being obsessed with Tolkien is always kind of fascinating to me. You know, and so this is kind of what the story is about, which is something that Cherry is about also. So That's got to be exciting. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. I mean, yeah. I, I can't believe people let me do the shit they let me do. That That is always my, and I always feel like I have to pay it forward. So like people ask me if they can use Cassie. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Because <laughs> let me use cherry and LED and you know and I can't believe any of the shit that people let me get away with. So. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, speaking of, of crossover characters, <clears throat> what you know, Cherry is now kind of uh, in a long list of crossover characters that you've uh, worked with, especially in in Hackslash. What are some of the the funnest um, other properties that you've been able to work with in your own stuff? Uh, I mean, I still think it's a coup that, uh, like, the third issue of Hack Slash, we got Chucky. I can't believe that. To this day, I can't believe we fucking pulled that off. <laughs> and, you know, and, and they let us do it, and they thought it was totally okay, so, okay. Uh, but, I mean, I'm still always doing dumb shit like this. I'm always, like, in Local Man, we have a story coming up. Um, well, I don't know if I'm supposed to let it out, but I'll, I'll, I'll tease it because it's fun. But we're doing a story where we, we brought in a bunch of other image characters. And uh, and so Boof from the Bruise crew is in Local Man. <laughs> so I mean, I remember Boof. He was like a McFarlane-created caveman character. Uh, we put him in Local <laughs> Man. Uh, but, uh, you know, I love all that shit. Like uh, I just did a Hackslash book for the Image 30th anniversary where we put in uh, Super Patriot from Savage Dragon and Shadowhawk and uh, Cabot from Bloodstrike. Uh, nice. You know. And just people just they just they fucking do it, and they no one said shit. Um, <laughs> so it's it's like people respect you, Tim. What the hell? What's going on here? I don't know if it's that, but I think you. I, I think I have, my reputation at least now is like 
Feely is such a nerd for this shit. He won't fuck it up. He, <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. They, tr- they trust you. They trust you that you're, you're well, you're competent. You're competent. <laughs> I won't break your toy. Like I don't, I don't break toys. I, I, I you know, I, I respect toys. I have a bunch behind me. You can call. Yeah. You know, but I don't break your toy. Like I'll, I will, I will give it back to you the way that you gave it to yeah. me. That's, that's how I'll do it. Yeah. I, I think I might know the answer to this, but what's your favorite property that you've been able to play with? What's your favorite toy? I mean, the one that I didn't make up. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Something you didn't make up. What's it's, it's, it's Master of the Universe? Yeah, as I knew I, I knew. <laughs> <laughs> that had to be a blast. So like, I I remember that that Tim was. It's the only time I've ever seen you kind of starstruck. Um, which is what we go through all the time whenever we talk to comfort creators. Um, but when we had Don Glute yeah. on the show, you kind of fanboyed. Dude, he fucking came up with all that shit. I mean, he didn't design the toys, but he came up with all their names. You know, he he gave Tila the name Tila because he liked the fucking yeah. elephant that Tarzan had. I mean, yeah. dude, Castle Grayskull. Yeah, named after his ex-wife. Right. I mean, I, you know, uh, yes, that was a huge deal to me. And, uh, you know, I try to do a thing where I don't, there's a certain level of fandom of which they don't understand the thing that they love is silly or it's for kids or whatever. Yeah. And it makes them evil. Right. Like, so the people are like, you it's should, like you should take He-Man yeah. seriously, even though the name is one of the dumbest combinations. Of- hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I mean, there, there are those people like who, who probably stormed the Capitol because they felt insulted about Green Lantern, right? I mean, and I, I hate that. I fucking hate that because it is for kids, and I'm sorry that that's true. And you can like it, but it was made for kids, and and so the the things are inherently supposed to be a certain kind of thing. And uh, I originally, you know, when working on Mass Universe stuff, was like, you know, I. I don't want to, I want to have a hobby and I'll just, I'll keep this as these toys I collect and I can kind of see it from the outside and I'll always enjoy what you make and I'll never be angry and it's totally fine. I'll always have my little stuff, but, uh, but eventually like I couldn't resist the, the call and it, and I, the siren, the siren song to write masters of the universe. And I think, you know, I don't think I'm that good at writing a lot of things, but I'm good at writing master universe. Like I I just, I know, (laughs) I know how to do it. I know everything there is to know. Uh, I won't break. I know the guy with three faces. Was that Triface? Wait, 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 brother. There's many faces, three faces. There's Triclops with three eyes. (laughs) I'm sorry. I literally got Triclops. Yeah, I got them all. So (laughs) let me ask. (laughs) Let me ask you this, Tim. I know you know from my own experience as a child having (laughs) He-Man and all the toys. You know, I mean, you told stories with them, right? So. I'm sure you and your brother must have told a billion stories with with the He-Man toys in, when you were kids. Yeah. Did did you did any of that stuff make it into? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, when we were kids, it's weird because we treated our. I mean, I definitely like the the process of coming up with a plot is so different from how we played as kids. Like we can we made up shit, but like. When we played Masters together, it was like there was there was my parents' room and my room and my brother's room, and each was a different planet full of guys, and they would have these massive wars, and everything would run into each other, and there was no fucking story there. There was no like, hey, you know what? Before we met Orko, he killed somebody. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> there was no, there was no like, there was no measurable plot. Uh, I did have like sort of thoughts. Like when we would sit down and draw, though, that that is different. We would like sit down at the kitchen table. And we would draw stories, and so um, we would draw He-Man stories. We would draw Thundercats. We draw He-Man meets Thundercats. We draw you know whatever stuff. That shit. The crossover that the world still needs. Yeah, right. Well, we got He-Man versus Thundercats. DC did it. It's awesome. It's by Bob David and uh, Lloyd Goldman. It's a great book, actually. I recommend it. Freddie Williamson drew the shit out of it. But but the the stories that we would come up with drawing comics, that that was something that I did pull from. Uh, Because, like, there was a story... I knew it! I knew it was somewhere! I knew... (laughs) So it was definitely, it made its way into, you know, there's some things that I had for for Tila and I had for um, for Skeletor. That came from shit that I drew as a kid. And in fact, Master of the Multiverse, which was the book I drew, I wrote from DC before the uh, license went to Dark Horse. Part of that shit was what stuff I came up with when I was a kid because I had heard about, uh, you know, this anti-He-Man, like evil He-Man shit, all, you know. So yeah, that's what made it in. But when we play with toys, it was just literally throwing guys at each other and you know, bombing Castle Grayskull and and dropping people in moats and fucking it was always like As it should be, as it should be. Yeah. yeah. It was always, the action scenes. Right. And it was always like it was more about like building shit for them, like making moats and like uh you know, and, and like turning the blue carpet into the ocean and you know, it was more like that kind of thing, you know. It was and then destroying it. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, Tim, before we finish up here, um, definitely want to uh, let people know about Money Shot, uh, the new series coming out when? April 26th, so two weeks, right? Two weeks from now? Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, what, else, what else are you doing, man? We haven't talked in like a, like a year and a half. Yeah, I've got Masterverse, which comes out. Issue three just came out uh, this week. Uh, issue four comes out in a month, actually, obviously. And then uh, Hexware, issue five came out this week. So six comes out in a month. Um, West of Sundown just finished up. Issue 10 came out uh, this week. Uh, I'm, I'm doing uh, the crossover event Unforgiven at Marvel, which is basically Marvel versus Vampire, sort of. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, I just started on... Uh, uh dc night terrors the new crossover thing um i'm doing uh uh angel breaker uh a s- series uh with uh with aki brights uh for that let's see what else the fuck am i doing Jesus. Uh, Gee, like sal wasn't lying you are the hardest working man in comics yeah, local man i do local man that comes out every month i write uh, and draw that with pony fleeks uh i draw i fucking draw again i draw uh five or six pages an issue of that book Except next I, lo- I loved the first. I haven't read. I haven't caught up on it yet. But I loved the first issue of Local Man. It was so. Fun. I think issue two is better, and three is better than that. So if you liked it, I think you will like. You can- I, I I will get. The, I will get them for sure. I just haven't gotten there yet. Uh, so that comes out. Uh, two just came out uh, last week, and or two weeks ago, and then yeah, so three comes out in two weeks from now. Uh, that's from Image. That's a monthly series. Uh, but yes, I'm drawing again. I fucking draw. That that should be a thing. People, people, through. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, and the, the, if you don't know, local man, it's a uh, it's a crime series about a guy who used to be in this sort of uh, 
celebrity super team called Third Gen, and he gets kicked out uh, and sent back to his hometown because he has nothing and he uh, can't use his costume and he doesn't own his uh, shield anymore. And so he uh, has to investigate the murder of his arch enemy, the Hodag, uh, in rural central Wisconsin. So that's uh, it's it's a serious book. People are like thought it would be goofy, and it's it's not. It's a real it's a real story. So. How do you keep all of this straight in your brain? Oh, I don't. <laughs> it's, it's, I have to like every Sunday night. Usually, I I review my own shit because I forget what I fucking did. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Tim, obviously with the uh, with the busy schedule, want to thank you so much for uh, for carving out some time. It's always it's always great to talk with you, man. And and if you haven't ever read Cherry uh, as a as a comic collector and fan, if you're into the history of stuff, I think it's worth it just for. I mean, even if you're not inclined to pornography like myself, <laughs> it's worth it for uh, that its place in history. Uh, and also it, the, the interesting way that it subverts expectations as it goes on. It jerks off your brain too. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Put that on the back cover. Oh. Oh, money shot. It jerks off <laughs> your brain. Uh, I, I gotta send you, there's a, um, there's an artist that I follow on Instagram. Uh, I don't, I, her, I don't know her name. She has kind of a funky name, but I, ran into her at a comic-con like six years ago and she had a very um don de carlo kind of style she did a lot of pinup stuff and but it was it was i mean very very don de carlo ish and uh to the point where i mean you know like obviously um but i've paid attention to her work over the years and like she's developed now her own style that's that's kind of still has that de carlo look but it's it's not, you know, it's a, it's her own sort of really good style. Um, maybe yeah, something. Sounds awesome. Yeah. I'm going to send it to you. Cause yeah, like I said, maybe something for money shot. It, it might, you know, uh, even if it's just a pinup or something, but, or a cover, but I think it would work really well for. Well, for... That's also an interesting thing about Archie style is that it's, it's basically developed by, by Donna Carlo and it's supposed to be this sort of all ages kid thing, but mm-hmm. Donna Carlo was a playboy artist. Yeah. And, yeah. So like it's it's the other thing interesting about Cherry is it's a porn version of a thing that was a porn thing until it became <laughs> this these uh you know uh, sort of uh, white bread uh, yeah. right like yeah. so that's an interesting bit of history as well uh, and it's so much you know how sexy Archie stuff is when you like you look at some of the old stuff and it's just shot it's like, this is a Playboy artist I can see it right here. Yeah, he he was he did all the Playboy cartoons for decades, right? Like he was, yeah. Yeah, it's it's awesome that you know, and that that particular art style is so associated with one thing, but it wholesomeness, yeah, yeah, wholesomeness. Which, I mean, I I have a collection of Don DiCarlo Playboy cartoons, and they are not wholesome, not wholesome, (laughs) not at all. Yeah, I think I have one of his books uh, somewhere around. It's it's great yeah. stuff, but yeah, it's not wholesome. No, That's well. awesome. <laughs> All right, anybody else got anything for Tim here? Just love to talk to you again, man. It's always good. Yeah. Always love talking with you, Tim. And, yeah, and you want to get like a beer and talk like real humans in real life? There you go. I, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, would love to. I'll come down from uh, from Wisconsin. Hey. <laughs> from the. You know, I love tidings from Wisconsin. You know, I'm a fan of Wisconsin. You know, Tim, I, I gotta say, I gotta sneak it in here. Uh, Wausau has one of the 
the crown jewel curling clubs in the country. <laughs> God. College. I used to go to college where that curling uh yeah, it's an eight sheeter. It's it's yeah. it's an eight. Ooh, an eight, eight sheeter. It's, eight hey, sheeter. it's, it's oh, a good fucking deal, man. It's a really nice curling club. Well, I remember, uh, so I was going to college at that time, and during the Olympics, the Winter Olympics that year, nineteen six, I think. I remember all these people uh, coming from all over the world to go to that curling thing, and I'm I was welding some shit in the art building uh, right next to there. It's just like you know welding some shit together to make a fucking sculpture project or whatever. <laughs> so there you go. Yep. Beautiful Wausau, Wisconsin. <laughs> it ain't the worst. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, all right. So um, next week we are not having a under the influence. We're having trade talks. Um, we're talking about uh, J. Michael Straczynski and Gary Frank's Midnight Nation. Oh shit! I love that book. Right, <laughs> read it. That book is fucking great. Right, it's if you want to join us, come on back. Come, come back next week. I love that book. I, I'm actually a huge, huge supporter of that. That's one of the best things Straczynski ever did. I, I agree. So, uh, so we'll be talking about uh, Midnight Nation, and then in two weeks, uh, we have Jamal Eigel on to talk about um, uh, the Killing Joke. Cheater. That's cheating. That's not a single right, issue. Right to the fancy shit. That's the, <laughs> the fancy. <laughs> Tim Tim gave it. Tim gave us two other uh, uh, influential comics that we can always have you back on for. Which I, I would. Do. I throw you. I don't remember. Of um uh no uh, uh, secret uh, assassin um. Oh. <laughs> Come on. Uh, yeah. I had some great... I know, Oh, Scud. Scud Disposable Scud, Scud, oh, yeah. Scud, the Disposable yeah. Assassin. Yeah, yeah. Disposable Assassin. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. That one, yeah. sure. Oh, I could talk about that for days. Yeah. You, and you there's... Me and Ryan Brown on talking about that. That's, not... You know, that's why uh, you, you, you were like Cherry Comics or or Scud, and then there was another one. And I, I want to get Ryan on, and I know he's going to pick Scud. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. We, we, we went out for drinks yesterday. We talked about Scud for like 20 goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like a CrossFitter. It's like if he, he's going to talk about CrossFit, except it's Scud disposable. Yeah, yeah. He's going to yeah. talk about Scud. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to talk about it. All right, Tim, thank you so much uh, for visiting us. We will absolutely have you on again. It's always great to see you. Uh, tell Norton. Hi, we haven't had him on yet. So, um so we need to talk to uh to mike coming up um have a great rest of your week and weekend we'll be back next week to talk okay. about midnight nation in the meantime in between time we'll be everywhere in hand around, around comics, comics. Yeah.